September is National Suicide Prevention Month. If you are struggling, please know you're not alone and you are worth fighting for. If you need immediate help, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. In wanting to help spread the word about National Suicide Prevention Month this September, I thought what better way to do that than to rerun some of my past episodes with guests that have so bravely stepped up and shared their stories about depression and mental health. You are listening to the Your Shining Self podcast for women who need messages of hope, love, and transformation. And now your host, Tish. Today's guest is a service-driven social worker specializing in providing therapy and transformational coaching programs. Heal, Thrive, Dream, LLC is a mother-daughter company serving career women over 40, recovering from their histories of child abuse and trauma. They offer courses, workshops, masterminds, and are building a virtual membership for survivors around the globe to gather in a safe community to recover, grow, learn, dream, and prosper. Heal, Thrive, Dream's products include digital journals, workbooks, ebooks, planners, and other helpful printables to make life more organized and fulfilling. You can find today's guest over at healthrivedream.com. And if you'd like to get the show notes from today's episode, be sure to head on over to shiningself.com forward slash 35. Hey there, listeners. I'm excited to have my guest, Karen Robinson, with me today. Hi, Karen. Hey, Tisha. Thank you for taking the time out to join me. I appreciate it. My pleasure. So we are going to dive into a pretty deep conversation today. Karen, you're going to be sharing your story about overcoming a suicide attempt. So let's just, well, well, there, just like, hi, Karen, <laughs> tell me the time you try to off yourself. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, we all know, like right now, just things have been crazy in the world. I mean, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with us about that. And I was reading some statistics the other day about the increase in the suicide rates um, and mental illness and like suicide and depression and stuff. It's a topic that I think that it needs to be talked about way more than it is. So Karen, I really appreciate that you're willing to be vulnerable and, you know, share this conversation because it's tough to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And the first time I actually ever talked about it was when we were on that book project together. Um, the book that Kelly launched, um, Get Past Your Shit. Am I allowed to say shit? Yeah. Yes. Okay, <laughs> yeah. So that was my first time like writing about it. Um, I might, I think I told my aunt when I moved in, when I ran away in high school and I moved in with her. I, I told her at that point, you know, I think my husband knew, but overall it's not something I shared. And so that was intriguing to me. So when I um, decided I was going to share part of my story, I thought, you know, I, I need to just own this. It was part of my history. It's not part of my future. And I was in a really, really crappy, shitty place. And that's what happens when you live a life where you're, you know, living a, a traumatic experience. So do you want me to dive in with my story? Yeah, I was actually going to ask. So I've read the book, so I know, you know, what you shared in the book. 
So take us up to, and you mentioned that you had ran away. So take us up to what was happening in your life that made you feel like suicide was the only option you had? Yeah, excuse me, really good question. I think I felt trapped. Um, I grew up with my family in a little rural area in New Brunswick, Canada. It was called Rowena and it's very beautiful area. But we lived in a, a really rundown trailer. And my father um, had some mental health issues, some learning disabilities, and basically refused to work. So my mom worked all the time. I was home alone a lot with him and my, my little brother. He was extremely um, emotionally abusive and um, physically abusive, mostly. I do uh, classify some of the abuse as sexual as well. I didn't classify it as such until I myself went to uh, graduate school in social work and I learned more about what sexual abuse can include. So yes, I, I actually think I've been abused um, all three ways in my childhood, including neglect actually too. Wow. So um, I, the emotional abuse, I have to say, is what cut the most. Like uh, there, I was called a lot of really horrible names like things you would never consider saying to a child. And, you know, it's just still very profound. And I think that one of the reasons was, as I was just born knowing that my voice mattered and there was really good luck to the person who tries to shut that down. It's just not going to happen. So what I mean to say is if maybe if I was a little more passive, I might've had better results, I guess, getting along with him. But I didn't, I didn't believe that girls and women are born to serve men and be abused by them and treated badly. So, and there was domestic violence in my home as well, but my mom could give it back just as much as she took it. So I did witness a lot of stuff like that. Like that. So I felt trapped, you know, it's a very rural area, nowhere to go. And so I don't even remember the day that it happened, like what was the last straw? I do know at that point I had been hiding, you know, razors in my, in my pockets and my clothes, thinking I was going to, you know, you know, cut my wrist or something, but there was just one problem with that. And I don't like blood. So I was petrified. Part of me didn't want to be, be alive anymore, but I was so scared of blood. So again, I don't remember what the last straw is, like what he said, what he did, but I basically um, went to the bathroom. I opened up a, a bottle of Tylenol and the book says I took a handful, but I actually think it was more than that. I think it might've been either two or three handfuls. I just don't remember. I do remember seeing my face in the mirror, you know, crying and I do remember, you know, having a little conversation with God, like, you know, I just can't do this anymore. Like, this is just, nobody can put up with this anymore. So I prayed that he would take me in my sleep. I took the, the medicine with some water and I, I went to bed. Well, the next day I woke up and to say I was pissed off is an understatement. <laughs> I can't remember if I had a stomach ache. I might've had a little one, um, but I was like, how come this didn't work? And so then I, that's when I figured out that maybe my life had a purpose. It must mean something that I took all this medicine and I was perfectly fine. 
So I was like, okay, God, what does this mean? So it, it made me more aware of maybe some hope, some possibilities. So I, I basically um, went with that. And then like a year later, like we had no food in the house. And so, you know, my aunt basically told my mom, you, you have to do something about this for your kids, you know, or I'm going to report you. Oh, actually my aunt did. She called the family doctor because back in those days, uh, people really didn't know you call CPS. Right. No, it wasn't really a thing. And so she called him and he had a talk with my mom and then we moved out and I was like, oh my God, what a different life. We had food. We lived in town. I could see my friends. I was like really, really happy just to have some normalcy. It was great. But then when she decided to go back, that's when I, um, like, no, I, I, I really cannot go to that dark place again. So that's when I, you know, ran away. Now I do have a joke about um, my suicide attempt that came out. I was interviewing someone who um, had a suicide attempt and was hospitalized. And so when I was telling him like what I did, I mentioned, then I, the joke was the, the Tylenol I took was no name brand. So maybe that's what helped me live. (laughs) It wasn't toxic enough. So this must be funny, Tish. Aren't you laughing? Hey. I don't know <laughs> because I guess I don't think of a suicide attempt as funny. Um, you clearly you know, don't, don't talk about it enough. <laughs> right. Karen, thank you for sharing all that. And, you know, I'm sitting here and I can, I can't, I can relate with some of the stuff you're saying about, you know, like suicide and stuff. Um, and I couldn't relate to some of the other stuff, but I remember, um, well, just recently in, a couple months ago, um, I sunk into a really bad depression. I dealt with depression off and on since I was a teenager. So that was nothing new, but, you know, as you're sharing about like your suicide attempt and you said that, you know, you were hiding razors. Um, but the one thing that you were afraid of is blood. And I have always said there was a really bad time. It was not long after I, um, went to get help for being an alcoholic. And I sunk into just this because now I'm getting sober, not numbing my feelings and having to deal with all this shit. (laughs) And it was just, it was pure chaos. And I was having like major suicidal thoughts. And I always say, you know, when I talk about that time of my life, like the one thing that has always saved me, um, and especially during that time is the fact that like, I'll have you know, I had those suicidal thoughts, but I was always too afraid to take pills. I was too afraid to cut my wrist. Um, you know, so it sounds weird to say that I'm thankful that I was always afraid of that, but honestly, like, that's the one thing you being afraid of blood. That's the one thing that kept you from cutting your wrist, which could have been, you know, way worse than taking the Tylenol. So, I don't know where I was going with that thought other than, um, you know, I'm thankful that I have been afraid to, you know, do those things because like you said, there's obviously a reason that that suicide attempt did not work. Look at what you're doing in your life today. I mean, God has had, you know, big plans for you in your life. For real. Yeah. So the truth is, I think I've worked with more people who have failed at cutting their wrists, like they cut the 
they're not deep enough. But people who have overdosed on Tylenol, that has been way more um, deadly. So I really do do feel like there was a miracle or maybe the the meds were, I don't know, but um, I'm certainly meant to be around. Wow. See, and that's just my like being naive. I mean, because I would think that if I was going to take, you know, a bottle of pills or something, I would not think that Tylenol would be the one. I didn't know that Tylenol could be that deadly but I guess that makes sense in a large well, I didn't quantity. Know at the time either. <laughs> right. yeah, I didn't know at the time either. I always thought Motrin was stronger and it, it is for like pain relief and inflammation and stuff, but it's less toxic than Tylenol. It's just really interesting, but listeners um, don't do any of those things, please, you know, reach out for help, especially as an adult, there's help go to the ER, call 911, call the national suicide line. I'm sure Tisha will put that in the show notes, but, um, you know, please there's, you know, there's a reason you're around and there's, it'll hurt whoever cares about you in your life. And there's, there's truly people who care about you. I don't care who you are, even if you don't feel that way, there's, there's someone that deeply cares. Yeah. Karen, thank you for saying that because that's the one thing, um, you know, I kind of touched on it in the beginning. I don't think that like depression and mental illness and stuff, I just don't think it's talked about enough. And, and this is just me, you know, my opinion. I think it's, there's just such a stigma around, you know, an adult admitting that, oh my gosh, I am depressed and I'm feeling suicidal. So I love, you know, that you mentioned for the listeners please reach out for help because there is nothing wrong with admitting that you need help. Amen. (laughs) So Karen, one thing um, that I wanted to ask you was because after I had shared with um, like some family and friends about, um, you know, like my suicidal thoughts at that time and how bad my depression and stuff was, I actually had friends that came and like they alternated shifts of basically babysitting me for like seven, nine days. I don't remember because it's been so long now, but I mean, it was a dark place. But um, when I had started to open up to like my friends and family that weren't aware at that time what was going on, you know, the one thing that they've always said that has just always And it's not even just them. It's just, I hear it all the time and it just always rubs me the wrong way. People always say suicide is so selfish and, oh, that just, oh, it just grates on my nerves because, okay, yes, it is selfish, but they don't know like how, like, I don't know how to explain what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, like one person that was saying that to me, they'd never, ever experienced even like being in like a little bit of a funk. So here they think that I would be selfish to kill myself, but they didn't, they weren't aware of everything that was going on in my life because I wasn't exactly open about a lot of the things back then. What are your thoughts about when somebody says, you know, somebody that kills themselves is it's just a selfish thing. Yeah. So uh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. I'll try to be succinct because I really can see it from, excuse me, both perspectives. So overall, the person who, well, let me do, let me be the devil's advocate for what you're saying for a second. I, I do believe suicide can be selfish or definitely feel that way to people surviving it because 
then they're the ones thrown into massive pain. Okay. So I've done a lot of counseling with people whose family members have committed suicide. It is dark. It's ugly. And then it leaves a legacy of suicides in families because it does go, it, it does become a family issue where if an uncle in the family's committed suicide, it's likely <clears throat> one of his kids will, or, and then one of the other kids will try. So it's a, a really heavy, hurtful issue for truly everyone involved. So I can see that that point um, of it feeling selfish, but then on the side of the, the client or the, the person who's had so much going on, you know, the pain is just so intense. They are lacking hope and, they, and they're so blinded by the pain that they can't see where the hope is. And so I, I do have a lot of compassion for that space, especially since I was in it as a little kid. Um, you know, it's just so hard. It's painful, just like cancer can be painful. And I think that's what the, the issue is. Like people sometimes have a little easier understanding why someone with terminal illness might commit suicide because it ends our suffering. Mm-hmm. Mental illness, mental health issues can be just or even more painful than that. So I get that. I have worked with people before. When you look in their eyes, you, you see nothing. Like it's just a cold stare. And it would be so hard to instill hope. And it it just, it's a horrible feeling. And like, there's one client I had who did um, commit suicide later. I was working my butt off trying to figure out what to say, what to do to keep him alive. And he had a little girl and I'm like, you know, are are you understanding what what this would do to her? And he goes, no, she definitely would be better off without me. I'm like, no, a half decent dad, and a bad dad's better than a dad that doesn't care about you enough to, to stay around. I, I don't know. So this is sort of one of my soapboxes. Um, I get the pain. I know it can feel hopeless, but it does hurt like everybody involved. That, is it fair to say how I, what do you think? No, I absolutely agree with you. And it's so funny how, you know, all it takes is just one person to say something a certain way and, you know, you'll change the way that you think about something. And that just brought me to, you know, as you're sharing that, um, somebody very close to me, um, her dad committed suicide and I have seen, it's been several years now and I have just seen the pain and the anguish, you know, that it has caused her and, you know, her kids, because they are missing out on their grandpa. So just like hearing you talk about that, I guess I needed to be reminded to look at that situation, because I do see how, you know, it was selfish of him. And especially for, you know, the reason that it ended up happening, because, you know, being an outside person, and knowing the reason that they took their life, um, there was, there could have been a way to figure it out and work it out. So yeah, thank you. I'm glad that I brought that question up because like I said, it just, you mentioning all that, it just made me like, just click in my head, like, oh my gosh. Yeah. I 
you know, need to think of that situation because when I see the pain and, you know, her crying and being upset again, because, you know, she comes across the picture of her dad or something, it does. I mean, it really was selfish because, you know, she's missing out on her dad. The kids are missing out on grandpa. And so, yeah, thank you for sharing all that. I think maybe the, the issue is maybe the word selfish is just too charged. Yeah. I would agree with that. Maybe that we can just simply say there's a lot of pain involved on, on any other direction. So Karen, I want to circle back to your story now. Um, so after your, um, you know, your suicidal attempt and waking up the next morning, pissed off that you're alive and not dead. What, like, how did you find hope to, you know, keep moving through life and to not attempt suicide again. Okay. So there was uh, now I, I could think of a whole bunch of things now, but at the beginning I was like, Oh, there's only one thing or only two things. So I'll just say them really quickly. I would say my faith, um, both of my grandmothers um, were uh, spiritual. One was Catholic and one was Pentecostal. So I spent a lot of time with them as a child. And so there would be a lot of prayers or rosary beads um, they just had a huge impact on me. So I, I did have, I was like, okay, there is a God and he's looking out for me. Um, and then I knew there were people who truly did care about me. Um, I know my mom loves me in her way. Um, at times it didn't feel very loving because of the choices she made, but I also knew she's a survivor. She has mental health issues. And so I know like that would have destroyed her too, you know, if I had done that. And I have, other family that, you know, loves me. I had really great friendships. So I always had like different types of support and that's another. Um, And then school, like trauma survivors tend to do really poorly in school because they're dissociating a lot or they excel at school because it's the safe haven. It's like, okay, if I get my education, like that's my ticket, that's going to be my way to having a beautiful life, you know, a lot more opportunities. Mm-hmm. So I, I was really into school. And so that also gave me a lot of hope. Well, I don't think I mentioned it after you shared, but I am so thankful that your suicide attempt did not happen because you are a blessing. And I know we've never like met in person, but I know you from, you know, like the online community and you are just doing some amazing things. So I'm glad that, you know, you're still around. Um, so Karen, what, if we have a listener that is listening right now and there's something going on in their life, and I say something like there's nothing going on in the world around us when it's pure freaking chaotic hell out there. What are you talking about? <laughs> right. Um, but if we have a listener that's listening right now and they are just like at the end of their rope and they don't feel like there's any way out of whatever situation may be going on and they are thinking suicide, like what is there, I mean, other than we've already mentioned, you know, reach out for help. Is there like one or two tips that you can give them of, you know, something, just a way to find even like the littlest thread of hope to hang on to? Well, you mentioned my most favorite word right now is hope. And I guess my second favorite word is dream, but um, okay. So I was originally thinking of a different gift for your audience, but now I think the gift I've already made makes more sense. And it's called hope. Oh. The hope tool is basically 
um, three or four cards. It's like a beginning of a card deck and people can print it out on cardstock. They can laminate it if they wish. Um, in the top left corner, they can put, um, punch a hole and put it on a key ring. And so this is um, questions and ideas for them to work on when they are feeling low. You know, it's, it's called the hope tool and it's meant to instill hope. So each letter of hope stands for a term and then it has some ideas to try. So that's gonna be um, uh, hooked up to my webpage really soon. So by the time this airs, um, anyone wanting to subscribe to my list and get that freebie, which I think is amazing. I'm going to use it myself. Um, yes, please. Because the one thing that trauma survivors have in common, like trauma can impact every single area of your life. The one thing I know for sure helps is, you know, hope in something, hope in your spirituality, hope in your purpose. So that card, that little mini card deck is, will help you, you know, write and reflect and think about that. But of course, please get help as well. And if you need help getting help, reach out to me. Absolutely. And I'll have, you know, all those links in the show notes. Um, but as you, like, as soon as you said the word hope for your, you know, gift for my audience, I instantly got goosebumps. So I love that, um, you know, you're going to gift that to them. And I remember back, you know, when I was sharing about that really bad depression that I had, somebody said to me, and this was after I had started coming out of that depression and, you know, taking the measures that I needed to take to take care of myself. Somebody said the worst thing that you could have ever done during all of that. And it kind of goes back to the being selfish thing, but they didn't say, you know, it would have been selfish. They said the worst thing you could have ever done is killed yourself and made a temporary situation permanent. And that like has just always stuck with me. Um, you know, just a couple months ago when I sunk back into a pretty bad depression, I, you know, was having some suicidal thoughts and I just kept going back to that. Don't make a temporary situation, a permanent s solution or something. I don't remember for yeah, exactly right. how they said it. it. No, you said it right. Yeah. So, it's um, weird. especially when people kill themselves because of money issues, and so bad. there's financial counselors, you know, there's, you know, bankruptcy and just recover. There's so many different solutions for that. And I think it's true for a lot of like stressors, you know, that yeah. is probably, I'm not even going to say probably that is the number one stressor in my life that causes, like, that's the first thing when I was in the depression, you know, and looking at, I'm just going to freaking come out and say it. I'm going to publicly tell people I have a huge effing IRS tax debt from when I was alcoholic and all I cared about was drinking. I wasn't paying taxes. Once I got sober, I got caught up with all those back taxes the IRS has added so many penalties and late fees to those that the original amount that I owed them for those, you know, several years that I hadn't paid, it has now doubled. And it just, so it's like, even though I'm doing something monthly, making payments towards them, 
it's not resolving the situation at all. It's just continuing to grow and grow and grow. And anybody that is self-employed, you know that every year, um, like every quarter, you have, you know, taxes that you have to pay. And I just, like, I was looking at, you know, like a letter from the IRS back in November. And I just was like, I can't free. I'm getting all emotional. It sucks really bad. Yeah. I was just like, I can't, I seriously cannot see a way out of this situation. And, you know, obviously I've talked to the boyfriend, so he's always like, you know, we'll figure it out. We'll do what we have to do, but it still is something that every night it just eats and eats and eats away at me. And I keep thinking, you know, how crazy that I seriously have considered ending my life because I owe the freaking IRS money. You know, I mean, it's money. (laughs) And I don't know, I'm not trying to make light of the fact that I owe them a shit ton of money, but it's just crazy that, you know, having a debt could make me consider ending my life. You're not the only person, right? Um, money, money is just so heavy. Like, first of all, money represents so many different things to people too. It's not just a piece of paper, like it's security. It's, it can be freedom. Uh, Like it can mean so many things. It can mean bondage. So Karen, I, you know, the reason that I wanted you on is because I know that, you know, there's just so much um, depression and anxiety and suicide and everything going on right now with what's going on in the world out there. So I really wanted to bring you on to share your story because I want listeners to know that there is hope out there. So I really appreciate that you've taken the time out of your day, you know, to come and share that and to be vulnerable enough to talk about it because it's not always easy to talk about, oh, hey, I tried to kill myself. Yeah. And you saw my coping mechanism of making a joke later. Right. (laughs) And, and that and threw me actually, off. I'm like, I don't know how to handle you're that. Like, you're like, what the hell? That was serious. Yeah. <laughs> I actually like in, when I was learning like basic psychology, when it, I heard it's coping mechanism, I was like, oh, like, I guess that's kind of bad, but I don't know where, but it was fairly recently I read or heard like, it's actually a very mature, healthy coping mechanism to be able to laugh at yourself. And so I'm going with that, that I'm doing a mature coping skill when I make fun of myself. I like that. Yeah. yeah. So listeners, if you want to get in touch with Karen, I'm going to have all of the show notes. Um, It'll have links to her website and stuff. It'll have a link to her, um, her gift of hope to you guys. Karen, before we end, is there anything that you just want to end with to you know, leave our listeners feeling hopeful, inspired, motivated, anything that you'd share, care to share with them. Yeah. That was a lot of pressure. (laughs) I'm sorry. Um, okay. I don't have any profound words to say, but I, I will say that there is so much more to us than our mood and our mood can change just like the weather outside changes. So just remember that you have this energy and presence inside of each of us that helps us to take a breath. It's like, you could say it's a Holy spirit or your soul or or whatever, however you want to word it. But we have this powerful gift within us that gives us breath and life and life can be a, a beautiful, sacred journey. If we can just decide to think of it that way. And when we think of things that way, 
it helps us to, you know, believe and hope again and, and have the courage to dream again, even if our dreams before didn't work out. Um, no one can say that our tomorrows can't be powerful and, and to have dreams is, is super important. Oh my gosh, I love that. That was so good. All right, well, thank you so much, Karen. Again, I appreciate you sharing your story with me. My pleasure. And don't forget, if you'd like to get the show notes from today's episode, be sure to head over to shiningself.com forward slash 35. That's a wrap for today's episode of the Your Shining Self podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a comment, and share with others that need a message of hope, love, and transformation.